0: hi and welcome to green planet blue planet podcast highlighting artists teachers authors and phil of the regenerative movement people who are committed to and who showcase planetary leadership my name is julian Guderley. i'm a transformational coach a breathwork teacher and i'm committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive i'm your host and creator of green planet blue planet podcast and in today's episode i'm here with ryan hunt ryan has degrees in physics and bioengineering from the university of georgia as well as a huge passion for circular technologies, including algae, photosynthesis, bioconversion, and biopolymer manufacturing. Ryan co-founded Algix that creates sustainable technologies for environmental restoration and biomaterials under the Bloom brand. His team collaborates with government and corporate partners for cleaning freshwater ecosystems and transforming municipal, industrial, and agricultural waste products into renewable plant biomass, and bioproducts. So with these words, welcome, welcome, Rot Ryan. Thank you, Liam. thank you so much, appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited, you know, you, we were joking, you're, you're dealing with the, the OG, the original setup for how nature has prepared, you know, for this, this carbon cycle, and that's algae.
1: Um, it, is, it is the original photosynthetic process that helped terraform the planet three and a half billion years ago so life on earth as we know it in terms of having oxygen in the atmosphere can be uh, contributed to the cyanobacteria the microalgae that lives in the oceans from from billions of years ago so it's just an incredible uh, ability for us to tap into this this really untapped resource you know we really don't do a whole lot with the massive genetic diversity of species and organisms that live in our oceans and our lakes and our rivers and there's potential to be able to use these organisms for incredible Uh, good and specifically creating a regenerative model of organic compounds so carbon-based materials that we use for fuels and polymers and foods we get it from a lot of things but we don't get it currently we don't get much of it from algae at the moment and our company and our mission is to change that
0: yeah that's epic and that mission is what we're going to spotlight today and dive in like quite a bit deeper why don't we start like uh, you know backtracking a bit to the beginning of where Algic started, and then where Bloom kind of got born.
1: Sure, so over 10 years ago, I was a grad student in the University of Georgia working on advanced biofuels. So my first project was actually turning biomass into crude oil using thermochemical conversion. So heat and pressure in reactors, transforming biomass into essentially a raw material that we can use to build things. That research became very focused on biofuels and our innovation or really our mission at at University of Georgia with uh, Casey Doss and Central Chinasamy was to use algae as a tool for environmental remediation. So it was our goal to absorb air pollution such as CO2, water pollution such as nitrogen and phosphorus, ammonia, nitrates, convert that, really those fertilizers that have been released in abundance into the environment capture that and use it to grow a new feedstock in a way that we really haven't done at scale in the past. The advantage of algae is this, this enormous growth rate. It's doubling time is so short and it's powered by photosynthesis. So we can get so much biomass out of algae, it, it eclipses any other terrestrial-based plant or feedstock. There's no bark, there's no roots, there's no fruit. All the energy it absorbs from the sun, it goes into reproducing itself and when we analyze what the algae itself is made out of, it's made out of proteins and a lot of it's made out of minerals. And so, in sometimes, if you get the right species or if you grow in the right way, you can also make oils and sugars and starches. So, these can be little micro factories producing a multitude of materials that we use and already produce out of other crops. So, there's an enormous amount of work. Mastering this biotech of taking algae and making it like a microfactory and building all these raw materials. What we've been focused on is what I like to call the low-hanging fruit: is using the biomass directly from these wastewater treatment or remediation projects, where the algae is fed a lot of nutrients. We recover that biomass, and we turn it into what we've found is the really one of the most interesting conversion routes, which is thermoplastics. So we don't have to worry about FDA, about feeding it animals. It can be an industrial source and we can put it into a polymer compound that will displace the amount of petroleum based plastics in that final pellet. But yet we can maintain and and sustain those properties, the thermoplastic properties that make plastics so interesting. So as opposed to making in the early days, we were making like flower pots and biodegradable things. We can we've done a lot of these hundred percent bio-based and biodegradable products. But we've also been working more recently in engineered products, creating footwear for you know for brands like Adidas, uh, Merrill. Uh, we've got over 70 brands now using everything from yoga mats to shoes, sneakers, sandals, flip flops, you know, you name it, where these foams are going into these consumer products. So now we're able to tell the marketing value of this mission and, and be able to, to, to inspire the next generation of designers, developers, consumers, to buy products that are more sustainable, that have a better environmental impact and to have some transparency about how this product is made. Is it made from renewable resources? Is it used to clean water? What are the net impacts of making this switch in the supply chain? And how can that provide value to the brand and to their market?
0: Mm, yeah, we're hitting on a, a, quite a few very interesting, you know, aspects of what you guys are creating. And so one for me, and, and I'm super curious to learn more, is this idea that, you know, we can possibly at some point replace the the, you know. Um, plastic that is entirely one from oil and oil products and replace it with a form of bioplastic right and then the second part is just the supply chain our awareness at point of purchase and the entire kind of um, way the industries have just been working for decades to flip this on its head to make people like super aware like look when you support a brand that carries bloom in its product you're actually not just doing something good for yourself and what you're buying but like the entire supply chain is is in alignment with um you know a nature-based economy
1: no it's it's a perfect and on on the the plastic side specifically i think there's multiple phases that we're going to see and there's the term bioplastic is it's it's a, a, a it's a very broad term it can mean a lot of different things and what we make are really compounds so we literally are taking algae biomass we're milling it into a fine powder and we're directly displacing a percentage of plastic in the, in the pellet that gets molded into whatever. Uh, a lot of times our products are, we consider, master, we consider what we make as a master batch, which means that our, depending on what we're making, they may dilute our product to some extent. So we don't actually produce, let's say polyethylene as an example. There are other companies and other technologies, mostly big chemical companies that are using like corn or sugar cane, uh, or other sorts of raw materials, plant-based, terrestrial crops, as feedstocks to chemically create an identical polymer to a polyethylene. So there, it, it, it plugs in. There's no difference from a performance perspective. Uh, there is the, the carbon that's contained in that polymer was produced from renewable resources, and so that's one approach. Another approach is they're using. You know, we can use biomass to produce new polymers. So not polyethylene, but polymers like polyethylene, such as polylactic acid, PLA, you may have heard of, it's used commonly in packaging. And it has the ability under certain circumstances called composting to actually break down in, in, in a composting environment uh, and uh, essentially turn back into to soil or into the, its raw components. So it's a bio-based material. It also has an element of biodegradability in terms of the composting. Uh, What we're doing is even a little different from that because we are taking algae and blending it with either of those two materials. So we're kind of like downstream of the polymer manufacturing process. Companies are making polymers, they're making PE, they're making green PE or or bio-based polyethylene, they're making PLA or or a whole host of other materials. And we're basically taking algae and saying, okay, that's great, there's improvements and good things about these materials, but we can reduce the amount of consumption and directly cut out that entire supply chain and just put the algae right in because of this natural thermoplastic properties of the protein. The proteins by definition are polymer chains of amino acids. So we get these polymeric effects just of the algae itself. And that's the innovation that we brought to the table. And we can work with a variety of other bioplastic companies because we're essentially making these compounds that are ultimately being turned into products. So we're a little bit more downstream. And we work with a lot of these other companies, the PLAs, the PEs, the BioPEs, et
0: cetera. Yeah, that's, that's super exciting. So how do you, how do you reckon like, you know, in, the next, in the next years to come? Because Bloom is, you know, is, is ready to bloom as a brand like, more and more and more. Like, how do you reckon this entire space that we're so used to all things plastic around us, right? And I think consumers um, for years now are like kind of waiting and starting to demand that change to happen like, across the board. How realistic is that? Like from your perspective, both, you know, and, and luckily this is, this is really unique to have you on, like you have the, the physics and bioengineering background, but you're also running a brand that's in the space. So you, you know how the industries are working. You understand how, you know, the timelines of these things might look like. Can you share a little bit more? Yeah,
1: it's a great question. I mean, it, it is a multifaceted solution and, and it's gonna be really challenging. Plastics are so ubiquitous in our lives. Everything you touch from the pigments of the, of the of the inks used in on the paper or the fabrics of, of our products to the raw material the fibers the foams you know some people don't realize these things are all made out of petroleum for the most part and you know maybe wool or cotton are some of your 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 alternatives but even those have issues because they require a, uh, agriculture and agriculture is one of the most polluting processes we have that's the reason algae is so interesting is it it provides a, a, an access to industrial agriculture or agri-tech that you know we've just we haven't conquered it. It's that next generation, that next level of agri-tech. So I see the industry going from an agricultural side, producing more efficient biomass. The, uh, the, the some of the challenges in in terms of. The plastic problem itself is that the recycling rates are very low. We're going, you know, the more and more brands are using fully recycled material, it's putting a lot of pressure on recycling processes, uh, recycling businesses. You know, I don't know if, if you've been watching the news, but like China's rejecting the plastic. We, as, as a country, the US, the little bit of, of plastic we did recycle, which I don't know the latest numbers are, it used to be about 7% this dismal. Maybe it's up to 10 or 15% now. It's still relatively low. The best in the world is like Germany and they're only like 50% or maybe a little bit over. So even like the best case scenario, we're still half of our half the plastic isn't making it into this back into the supply chain. So there's major fundamental collection interception. And then once you actually get that plastic, a lot of it is not, you can't just grind it up and melt it back in. That's what the traditional recycling has been. And China was doing the majority of that. China is shutting off the world to that supply chain. They're tired of taking everybody's garbage. So there's a huge controversy and a huge issue with tankers full of plastic floating around, don't know where to go because no one wants it, right? And it's a liability in many ways. And then it ends up many times going to countries that uh, don't have the infrastructure in place to sort it or process it. So it gets dumped at Harbor and gets dumped out in the ocean. So there's, (laughs) I mean, algae is one element of a massive problem that we've got to solve here. So, um, so I mean, is algae going to solve all the problems? Yeah. At some point in the future, maybe, but mm-hmm. I think we're a far ways to remove that. I think we're the, the big play for algae is in twofold. One is what Bloom does. We're basically just displacing or replacing the percentage of plastic in products, and we're helping raise awareness and making sustainability cool. I think a lot of people don't think sustainable products are typically like that good looking yeah. or crunchy. I think or cool it has to be
0: cool and available, right? It has and to available, be like, and, available and also not greenwashed.
1: Like people say, exactly. okay, it's sustainable. Is it really sustainable? And so we're we're bringing a level of credibility to brands in terms of their sustainability messaging. Where it's not like, yeah, we're this is all natural, and it turns out, yeah, that means nothing. It's got quantifiable metrics behind it. So that's a big public awareness perception that we're trying to overcome. Beyond that, we start getting into, if we can produce enough algae and incentivize industry to instead of polluting out their back of their factories and emitting CO2 into the air and and flushing wastewater out into lakes and rivers and estuaries and wastewater plants, can we actually intercept those, those, those nutrients, you know, that, 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 and they see that pollution not as a liability, but as a resource. And once that switch happens, where they realize when the factory, when the industry realizes, wait a second, we can actually produce value on our waste, more and more of that waste is gonna be intercepted and get and be turned back into feedstocks that can go back in as raw materials. So I think that's where it's heading and it's gonna take a a combination of plastics, bioplastics, you know. Sometimes you want a product to be biodegradable, sometimes you may not want it to be biodegradable, depends on what it is. Um, it depends on what the end of life is. And I think as we progress, I think we're going to see more and more brands, especially the big forward thinking ones start to take responsibility at the grave. So there, you know, it's, right now it's, you, you buy something, you know, you buy a shoe from a brand and you're like, Hey, this is my shoe. Well, guess what? It's also your responsibility to do the right thing with it. At the end of its life cycle, you throw it in the trash may not be considered PC, we easy to. Do, it's easy to do right now, but in the future, sometimes it's either going to be the brand that's going to be responsible for reclaiming that shoe, and they may want to reclaim it because they can extract the natural resources back out of the shoe, and ends up being cheaper for them. So, I think, in my opinion, the way this thing is going to start to really catapult is if sustainability has an economic advantage. If there is not just sustainable messaging and marketing, but there's actually a way to reduce the cost, improve efficiency, and get better access to the raw materials that you want within your own supply chain. And setting that up is going to be really hard, but once it gets rolling, once we have that circular economy, it's going to get better and better and better. And so these technologies like chemical recycling or advanced sorting technologies, or really just going back to the basics, design, sustainable product design, how you make the product. Do you make it to where a shoe can break down into its individual components so it can be recycled easier? Not many brands do that right now. Certainly are trying, but it's not so easy. So a lot of it goes back to how you design products and what you make them out of from the get-go combined with a established infrastructure that typically, unfortunately, this place is country by country based, so the companies that don't have the infrastructure are winding up with our garbage and that's not right, we gotta fix this. So the way we fix it is we're putting dollar signs on that trash to where now it's more expensive to get recycled PET yarn than it is to get virgin. Hmm. They're willing to pay more for it because of supply and demand, that's what we want. So as there's more demand for algae, the price is gonna go up and then we can, more people are gonna produce it. And so with Algix, what we've been doing is, I mean, we're kind of propping up the market in a sense, but we're going up and buying this specific grade of algae that has zero value right now. But we're buying it because we want to incentivize these these companies to produce it at scale, such that when we connect supply and and demand together, these things balance out. And it's been really hard. I mean, when we talk about some of the challenges we faced at Algix, that's been the hardest part is trying to build a brand new supply chain that does not exist while also convincing an industry that you already had the supply chain mature and is ready to go. There's no risk because they're not going to take any risk. And then also actually being able to execute on the whole thing. So that's really where the fun happens.
0: (laughs) Totally. And you know, I want to like acknowledge how, you know, how how fired up you are about this topic. And I want to ask you just as a follow-up question right there, like, what adversity or like point of frustration did you hit personally that you were like you know what this is going to be my life's mission this is the purpose i'm committed to no matter what we need to change supply chains we need to change the way we look at plastic etc like what what was that you know influx point in your life
1: well i mean fundamentally for algae it started in grad school actually even before grad school i had aquariums and i saw the impacts of algae blooms on my the organisms that i was hosting in these in these aquariums so I got a real good feel of how the potential of algae, in both terms of how devastating it can be, and in terms of how fast it grows, and the potential of what it could could hold for us. In terms of applying that into sustainability, I I I got sucked into the biofuel boom, man. I I thought biodiesel was going to be the future, you know, and then I started learning about this this early startup company that was making these these cool little electric cars. And I thought, man, if these guys succeed with this little electric roadster, they're going dis- to just—they're going to dominate the industry and-, and change things. And guess what? It was Tesla, and look what they've done. So that's been a huge inspiration for me—is looking at what a bold mission and dream, and the fact that it takes a decade or two or more to really realize it. It is it- the name yeah, of the I game. It's so it's—we're we're in it for the long haul. Yeah. And I think that those two things of when you look at electrification of vehicles, I actually was either going to go into biomedical physics or I was going to go into. Uh, electric electric uh, vehicle engineering and, and production, electromagnetics, and those are still it's still interesting to me. But one of the things I realized when I was in grad school working with algae and the potential of algae in biotech is that while we might be able to find an alternative to the internal combustion engine, we're always going to need carbon molecules to build chemistry out of, build polymers and materials and plastics and coatings. And I mean, there's so much stuff inks and I mean just foams, all these material these material needs. We're basically taking natural resources out of the ground and burning that carbon into the atmosphere, and and it which is very hard to recover. Um, yep. Yet I was like, we're gonna we're gonna need that carbon to make stuff in the future, especially at the growth rate the Earth has in terms of its global population. It's you know go out you know don't think in terms of our lifetimes, think seven lifetimes, seven generations ahead. Where do we want to be seven generations from now? If on the current trajectory, we're we're totally screwed. I see why Elon Musk is trying to go to Mars, because it's totally unsustainable. Maybe there you can start with a system that starts off with circularity in mind. But we've got some major, major transition to happen on this planet. So it's seven generations from now, our great, 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 great grandkids look back and say they did the right thing or they did the wrong thing. And small changes today can lead to huge differences in the future, especially when we think out at that time scaler.
0: Well, you're thinking alike uh, to, you know, how I started this podcast, which is very much this seven generational pursuit of understanding everything we do has an amp- impact into the future. Like if we look around into how the supply chains are set up now and, you know, how we extract uh, raw material from the earth, etc., all of this is the consequence of our choices and our doing from the past, right? And now we have, uh, through a globalized world and, you know, through the internet and our telecommunication, we have the ability to raise our awareness and realize oh wow we've created quite the bottleneck of um, of a problem here right you could call it climate change you could call it great pollution whatever word we're putting to it there is there is no way forward in which we just keep our actions the exact same way and all these government regulations from kyoto protocols to paris agreements to copenhagen agreements they're simply not enough they're 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 good attempts maybe just like the united nations sdgs i think they're good starting points and they're you know um a good focus point to start a conversation with those who are aligned but what it really takes is as you said to to step by step per per maybe over the course of a decade or even an entire lifetime change the ways we're interacting as an economy with the natural resources and learn smartly from the process that nature displays which is regenerative in its in its essence
1: exactly you know you nailed it you 100 agree
0: how do you ryan how do you like you know feed optimism every day like how, how does optimism happen for you when we're like you know we're looking at this like dire possibility and we know that the media world and a lot of people are kind of zapped into that likes to drum the doomsday drums but really it requires people like yourself who are showing up every day and believing in something even though the that that might just be the beginning of your story, you know? So like how do you find optimism every day? Wow, that's
1: that's 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 a, that's a tough one. I mean I I've 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 lived the doomsday, you know, mindset. I I that's, I, I guess in some ways that's what got me into it is I got bummed out. I I realized I had the epiphany of what's about to happen and what's going to happen to my, you know, at that point, you know, my my potential future kids, but now my future kids and my future grandkids, my future great grandkids, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so I think the the awakening was a huge part of it. And I think when you, when that happens, it's, it's, it's very humbling and it's very disturbing. And, but if you live in fear, I mean, I, it's it's impossible. You can't be productive. So at the end of the day, you know, I just have to believe that, you know, if I keep working at this and don't give up, I mean, it's all I can do, you know, and I've got to stay positive. And, and I think that, it's been it's been hard over the years because like oh man we both thought I was crazy I'll tell you what we've been you know we've been laughed at a lot and by a lot of companies early on what we were trying to do
0: oh that is still like common common practice to like really yeah and
1: and I knew it and I was like well one day I'll I'll get I'll get my glory one day and so um anyway so long story short it's exciting now to actually be able to say yeah Adidas they are you know the global forward-thinking German brand I mean just they're like a childhood hero of mine they're our customer our biggest customer right and like we've got all these customers and i get emails and calls all the time for new brands wanting to do the right thing and uh, you know produce and use more sustainable materials in their supply chain and their products and so i talk a lot to designers and that's that's exciting i just get when we first started we were talking about tra- like uh, uh flower pots and biodegradable mulch films stuff that maybe made sense, but I can, you know, it's hard to get excited about a flower pot. I mean, maybe some people, but for me it was kind of, eh, okay, I mean, it's it's all right, but I'm not going to change the world with flower pots, you know, but sneakers it's like, that's a much bigger market, a bigger deal. There's a bigger impact. There's a lot of, a lot of problems in the supply chain. There's more opportunity to bring sustainable mindsets and life cycle thinking. And I think kind of when it comes down to is life cycle assessments uh, life cycle impacts, When you look at your life when you look at a product when you look at a country or even our our species you know what are the impacts that happen during the life cycle so during our life cycle how much emissions does a person generate i mean just that Go look that up it's crazy right it's kind of frightening
0: it's all about awareness in these kind of regards right like the moment it becomes like apparent to you what's actually happening how we are leaving footprints um, and you know, I'm of the opinion we're supposed to leave a footprint, but we're supposed to leave a footprint that actually has like a, you know, um, takes us as humans as a graceful, like a keystone species on the planet, right? We we're actually supposed to interact as nature with nature in every way, but not by leaving a trail of destruction, by basically leaving a trail of you know continuous creation.
1: I've, I've, it's an interesting perspective. I've uh, my so my grandmother is from the Yucatan, so my like. Some of my lineages, down the Mayan uh, things and so I'm fat I've always been as a kid fascinated with these ancient civilizations and the big stone monuments and all over the world right and so if you think about it it's like you know those stone pyramids are kind of I mean in what in some ways it's it's you know it's it's the, the only thing remaining of that of that generation and I wouldn't consider that pollution right that's it's these beautiful test stands test of time that are now sacred places and then you think about our generation and what are we going to leave behind? It's going to be like tons of trash in the ocean and big holes in the ground where you pull all this stuff out and all these abandoned factories and, and landfills full of just exponentially growing amounts of non-sorted garbage. It's
0: not as cool it's, at it's all. It's not like, cool at all. <laughs> it's scary. No, we're, we're literally a species in its infancy just becoming aware of that impact, right? But the cool thing is, and this is why, you know, I call it people with planetary leadership and and the regenerative movement is because it now requires this way of planetary leadership to understand the damage is done, but not entirely locked in forever. We are actually in an active process of evolution where we can now kind of pivot and steer. So I have a follow-up question to this kind of awakening that you mentioned for yourself, like becoming aware and then like choosing. What do you reckon, Ryan, it would take for humanity as a whole to really understand and learn from past mistakes, to look at history, to look at the way we've treated each other, we've treated each other in, you know, as humans, we've treated nature, we've treated e- nature through the lens of economy and just say, you know what? We're actually now learning from this process. What do you think that would take? Wow.
1: Well, as a scientist, I practice the Lean Six Sigma uh, you know, engineering approach where it's called continuous improvement. Every day, you've got to do it better than you did it yesterday. It's always about applying those learnings and setting up situations where you can specifically test A versus B. We did it this way, this was the outcome. We did it this other way, this was the outcome. And you have to apply the scientific method to that process to where you were looking at the, the life, it goes back to LCA, life cycle assessment. What are the impacts Uh, of each of these processes and which way can we pivot to and as new technology becomes available as scale gets brought up to scale how do we apply that that LCA process again and just continuously improve so I think part of it is you know scientific method continuous improvement life cycle impacts focusing on uh, always uh, improving the and and reducing the amount of impacts and then also from a very fundamental sense I think it's going to the expectation of the future is to change. You know, us going the fast fashion is buying stuff, throwing it away and things only lasting a, a month or a week or, or a year or, or even cars that only last for a hundred thousand miles. I mean, I know these businesses need to sell cars, but you know, I've, I've seen reports on the, the Tesla roadsters that have run a million miles and they've opened the motors up and they're, I mean, they're basically pristine, right? There's no combustion going on in there. So I think the, the ability to repair things, to reuse things, to repurpose things, um, some of this is, is ego. Some of this is saying, Hey, I don't need the latest and greatest things. Cell phones. When I found out the amount of water it takes to produce a cell phone, I about fell out of my chair. Um, I, I forget the exact number, but it was like that thousands and thousands of gallons you, you search real quick, but uh, you know, And think about, you know, we're on cell phone plans. You have to flip your cell phone every two years to stay relevant, right? Or to stay with the latest apps and the performance and stuff. At some point, these things start to plateau. You really need the latest and greatest gizmo. I mean, one of the jokes is like with the iPhone. It's like, all right, so the the slow-mo selfie. I
0: just pulled it out. I just pulled it out. What's the the number on the cell phone? waterfootprint.org says it takes 240 gallons to manufacture a cell phone. However, it takes 713 gallons to produce one cotton t-shirt.
1: The t-shirts was the crazy one. Yeah. It's, it's, think how much water that is. That is a lot of water.
0: You know, not to sidetrack there from where you, where you just went, but like this is just because it it is that impactful, right? To like picture that number. Now, when I buy a t-shirt, I don't think of that and I'm already deep, deep, deeply involved with all of these topics. I'm already like making this my, my daily intake and understanding, but how come that when we're at the point of purchase, we're still not in touch with the consequences we're creating. And how can we change that actually in a fun way where it actually replaces the way we've done marketing so far. So it actually engages us even more. So I I like
1: the idea of having, you know how you have like the nutritional recommendations. We really should be having a formal LCA data set as a nutritional label for products so when you go out and buy a product you don't want it to be 100 sugar right you want to have some fiber you want some protein you want some you know some fats you know you want some you want something valuable that you're getting minerals and so what if there was a little label that basically said here here's how much water it took to make this you might be think think twice about buying an extra shirt or throwing that do you really need this thing Do you really need an extra you know to produce it you know i mean some of this is about do we uh, over consumption are we buying do we buy too much stuff
0: well the the short answer to that is obviously a big yes right like we we buy too much we're living in an economy where everyone who is you know battling for a piece of the cake just wants people to buy more things because we haven't yet found uh well-being or um you know true happiness or satisfaction as the median metric to govern our economy by i mean we have countries like bhutan who started with the, the gross happiness index and then we have countries like new zealand or wales that have introduced like well-being metrics right but literally even though it makes a lot of sense once you look down that that alley um we're at the very beginning of of that kind of way of thinking indeed yeah so, so yeah. you know digging deeper into you and your journey too like what do you think you know i believe that trust is a massive factor in this entire equation and you know often uh, we refer to like this change this regenerative change happening at the speed of trust and so yeah so just on a personal note like what is required for you to experience trust
1: that's a good one well again yeah, going back to my my i'm a i'm a logical left brain scientist kind of guy. So for me, if I understand it, if I can look at the data, it doesn't have to be the super deep dive, but like, give me something that to, to grasp onto and rationalize. And if I can logically make sense of it, that for me, that's how you build trust with me. If you just tell me something and do some hand waving or say, this is the best thing in the world. I am like, you kind of go into the bucket of the BS bucket, right? If you're like, Hey, there's limitations, there's pros, there's cons. You got to look at both. Here's the data overall this is a better thing to do and this is why it's like instantly more credibility in my book so that's what we try to use at bloom is to provide that trust build that trust through using third-party bodies that we invite into our process the peer review process of life cycle assessments in our in our in our bloom uh, supply chain and then auditing that and providing traceability you know being able to track that material back to the reclaimer uh, or the the source of the algae now we just set, set this up with with Bloom now when the customers buy from us, we can provide a a global recycling standard g r s certification it's called a transaction certificate that ties all the way back to the source of the raw material and the fact that wow. uh, that it's algae so now what
0: what you're talking here, what you're talking about here, both on the personal level as well as what Bloom is creating is actually transparency right transparency and visibility of what is actually happening, right like even pros and cons. We don't need to, like, you know, greenwash everything all the time. We can absolutely talk about the cons with an open mind. But once transparency happens, you'd say there, there's, there's a form of trust that you're able to, to give or invest.
1: And exactly. I mean, you got to be vulnerable. And, and for us, I mean, bloom isn't perfect. We, you know, we, we're not making 100% algae materials. I wish we could. Um, some people are trying to do that. I hope that they're successful. I hope that we continue to grow our technologies as well. But at the end of the day, it's like, we've got to make incremental improvements. It goes back to continuous improvement. So how do we refine our processes and thinking every day?
0: Yeah. And that's, that's an exciting part of this conversation as well, Ryan, because, you know, this is a commonly, you know, uh, you know, often, often done mistake. In, in my personal opinion, is this, this black or white thinking, the right or wrong thinking, the zero or one mind. And like, I understand, but I think at this point, you know, everyone listening um, and and the two of us, like we're all required to practice our non-dual kind of perception and thinking where we realize, okay, things might be paradoxical sometimes and things, you know, will be able to be improved when we look at it 10 years later, like 10 years later, all of what we're developing right now will hopefully be at a complete new level of understanding and technology and integration of that, that we already have even better solutions. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing the ones right now only because there is something to criticize about it, right? So the incremental experience of what we're going through is it's actually like a natural part of the cycle.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: I have, I have a few more questions for you and it, it kind of goes towards the same uh, direction because I, I really want to you know, get some of the, the gold about your way of thinking and believing here. So if you, Ryan, could single-handedly or with a team of experts change the education system at large what would you do
1: wow that's a good one so so we homeschool our kids just disclaimer um we live kind of out in the boonies so but we've been so we've been doing that we have we've got two kids in homeschool so i'm well aware so we were prepared for this whole covid homeschooling thing it hasn't been that uh disruptive to to our household uh other than having three kids little kids live in your house um being part of that you know you've got to have structure, you've got to have rules, you've got to be able to provide a, a framework that you know, is. and so, we, so we, we have a program that we use with, with our kids that is a accredited uh, program, it's, it's called a Beck, it's really good. Um, but I think that what I'm trying to bring with, our, with my own children is the experiential aspects of making technology, I make it cool and fun at first, and then I start to open them up to, well, by the way, not only can it do this, but then look at, you know, and Then I blow their mind with like, so like, for instance, I do a lot of PowerPoint. I mean, this is like a silly example, but like, I'm in PowerPoint making all these presentations and they, my kids see me working. So like one day I draw a, a tank, I make a tank, you know, or I make an airplane or I make a, you know, whatever. And I draw it. And now yesterday I, I caught my seven-year-old in here on my PowerPoint, drawing airplanes and stuff in PowerPoint. I was like, Wow. Okay. <laughs> You know, he probably wouldn't have done that had I not showed him that, you know, so you know, next step, we're going to get to Excel. I'm going to teach my other daughter how to start solving problems in Excel versus just writing it under normal paper. So, you know, integrating the technology in early age is a big part of it. And I think STEM is huge. I mean, I think the, the more fun we can make science, I remember, I don't know if it's still this way, but like when I was growing up, like if you were a nerd or if you were into science, like you were kind of shunned. Like it wasn't cool to be a nerd. Um, it, you know if you're the smart guy it was almost like a bullet like a like a bullseye on your back so i mean i think being in a more remote environment helps that because i mean you're not there's no bullies out there but um but i think that encouraging students to think, and also to like become aware of problems like i i was so touched my daughter who's 12. um i I, got, I saw recently patagonia made a really cool little short video mm-hmm. about, about nets with one of their brand uh technology partners they're going out and harvesting these ocean nets turning them into yarns so they made this cool little video i actually know some of those people personally so it was a fun thing so i showed it to my family it turns out my daughter did a book report i didn't even know about it she did a book report on the video and wrote this whole thing up and just like seeing her like 12 year old mind watch this five minute video and then realize that like there's this massive issue where we are industries dropping these nets that never break down and trap all these animals in the bottom of the ocean for who knows how long and they're actually going up and helping solve this problem it like it was not it was in yeah you know, for her it's like wait okay, she, she's learning about so much stuff she's learning about empathy she's learning about about production and, and problem environmental problems and solutions and people you know brands coming to so it's just it's this experiential thing and so i'm hoping that brands are are becoming like figureheads right brands are, are, are entities we all you know strive when you know at least when i grew up i mean nike and indeed like you all, these all had these, like, these these mantras and ethos with them so i think the brands of the future are going to be much more sustainability focused and regenerative focused and philanthropically focused like tom's just started this whole thing of when you buy stuff it actually benefits other people like in a very systematic way like that was unheard of 10 years ago or 20 years ago now almost everybody kind of has something like that so you talk about like earlier, what we do 10 years, you what know, we do now impacts things 10 years from now. I, I'm excited to see how these small things that have already happened in a relatively short period of time, what it's going to be like in five more years, 10 more years, 20 more years. The this, this speed of which, I mean, then you get into the singularity. You start thinking about tech, not just materials and supply chain, but like ultimate technology and Zoom. Like COVID has been, I, mean, I used to travel all the time. I used to go all over the world. I used to give these talks. I used to meet with customers. I'm able to do it with a much lower carbon footprint from the comfort of my home right next to my family and wife. I missed out on my kids growing up for the past 10 years because I've been building a startup company. It's, it's, yeah. it's a lot of work and a lot of travel. And so I think that we're going to see all these different things come together and really change the, the, experience, the, the, the businesses. And there's going to be winners and losers. Some industries are going to suffer and some are going to do really, really well.
0: But I think yeah, a I lot think of the works. ones
1: that are successful are going to adapt.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I see that as well. Thank you for that answer. And, and, you know, going kind of from the education system into, into that, um, like, a positive little rant. I like that a lot. Um, I have two more questions for you. And one of them is if you were to ask for help, support, uh, you know, angels um, from an investment perspective or any perspective, what is it that Bloom and Algix and the brands that you're hosting under the Algix, uh, you know, consortium really require need or, or, or could use right now?
1: Well, we, you know, being a small startup company, we've been funded uh, primarily through friends and family and, and angel invest, philanthropic angel investors. So we've raised a lot of money, but we've been bootstrapping it for 10 years. So yeah, we are looking for impact, positive impact focused, investors that maybe want to work with us i mean we that's something that is i think becoming more and more real that for us to really grow this thing you know we're gonna we're gonna need more than just kind of the the, the angel investment group that we've got now i mean as far as the, we need some we need some real partnerships and so the brands are great we're able to in, in a way we've been able to do and get as far as we've gotten because of our brand partnerships by working with a company with an established supply chain you know, we can develop new products, we can launch new materials, we can, we can grow the brand, we can refine the brand. So a lot of we've been, we've been able to run lean this long, a lot of a lot of companies go straight to institutional investors right out the gate, and they'll raise you know tens of millions of dollars on technology. And I feel like I mean, that's great. And I love and, and we've thought we thought about doing that, maybe we will do at some point. But the challenge with the, with that is that, you know, money doesn't fix everything, you got to find the right the, the right strategic investors that really are in it for the right reasons. And, and we have, we've been extremely fortunate with our, our angels and, and our friends and family that have backed it this far. Um, so we're, we're incredibly humbled and grateful for that, that ability to, to, to get it in 10 years. Most companies fail because they don't have the access to, 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 capital to, to get over the hard humps and figuring out the business model. And it's, I mean, what we started with what we're at now, I mean, we're, it means, same mission but how you actually execute it it's really hard it's really challenging
0: yeah thank you for sharing that i have one last question at this point and this is you know goes into the trenches of what you were you know sharing earlier yourself which is the seven generational kind of view onto how we do business how we do life how we you know build relationships um how we encounter one one another and so the question is basically what is your dream for this planet what is your dream for our species what is the vision you have for our earth given a seven generational context into the future
1: wow that's epic so yeah let me put my futurist hat on so i think the remote uh the virtual land will be just mind-boggling seven generations from now we're probably past the singularity so it's kind of uh it's kind of a the question, in a way, is 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 impossible to answer because no human knows. We have no idea. Seven generations from now, the world's going to be so. Think about seven generations the past from us. They they never. I mean, they, there's no way. There's no way they would have ever guessed any of this, right? And so, at least as far as the technology component goes, I mean, maybe you know some things never change. But <laughs> humans are humans, so like that stuff you can predict. But, you know, there's always going to be bad apples. There's always going to be challenges. There's Always going to be disruption and corruption i you know i mean i think that's unfortunately part of just human nature um but i i think that there is a global uh, awareness and consciousness arising and i see, I see the, the the virtual realm getting more and more advanced i see biotechnology specifically is going to be incredible we're going to be able to produce any compound chemical with basically the power of life and and that includes everything from therapeutics to raw materials, to even electronics. Uh, it, it, I think it's going to be remarkable. Uh, and then I think, in terms of artificial intelligence, which is tied to a, to an extent to the to the, the the biotech and the nanotech. But when we start talking about getting, you know, making things smaller and smaller, the computing processing power is just going to be unbelievable. The the ability of artificial intelligence to leverage that is really scary. Uh, that's probably the biggest one that scares me, actually. Um, but hopefully, we can contain it and we can use it in our benefit. And we take some of the burden off people and the burden off trying to make a buck because having to make a buck ends up usually causing problems, right? Like, that's when, as you said earlier, we're all trying to get the same pie, we're all trying to get that buck. And it's like, okay, well, that means that somebody's going to do it a cheaper, dirtier way than somebody else that's doing the responsible way. And in the day, people are going to buy the cheap stuff because it's cheaper. And they, and they make more bucks. So I think that there is gonna be a fundamental recalibration of um, how we do stuff. It's gonna to have to be, in seven generations. If we don't do that, it's a very, very bleak future. And I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I mean, that's not my dream, that's not my vision. I don't think it, we can't turn, we can't turn out like that. It's gotta come out positive. So if it's gonna be positive, these things, these things are gonna to have to happen. Boom. I think they will happen.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great to hear. That's great to hear from from your perspective. You know, I've been asking this question for a while and um, There is no right answer that I'm looking for. It's more about understanding the way we as people think we as people feel and you know Also just Going there, going to that place of visualizing, what would it be like for seven generations in the future? You know, a lot of the the problems and topics that we're dealing with a lot today and that are part of the 21st century, as you said, seven generations into the past, no one could have really predicted that. And so. um,
1: Well, think about this. All right. So, you know, if you look at this population of the planet right now and you think about over the past, let's say 100 years and think about where humans were 100 years ago. Or and 200 years ago, even I mean that's you know, less than seven generations. And we look at the uh, we look at the technology, the the percentage of scientists on the planet solving problems with the scientific method, using you know essentially uh, experimental design to to develop technology and solve problems. Then you look at seven years from the future, right? Look at this artificial intelligence. Where imagine having infinitely more intelligent than the human capacity of the entire planet. Solving our, solving problems. I mean, granted, you've got to identify the problems and try to solve them, but that's where it's exciting because even what we can't necessarily understand or, or even conceive about a problem yet, could be a scientific problem. It could, it could be a variety of things, but, you know, being a physicist, I, I, you know, I, I know how complicated these things are at that fundamental level. If we start having an infinite intelligent body uh you know system solve these problems we're gonna the the technology available to humans is is mind-boggling it's absolutely mind-boggling so when we start talking about yeah we gotta solve it's gonna eventually be like yeah remember when we uh remember when we had a plastics issue yeah that was that was silly it took us you know like once we figured out xyz we figured that you know it'll 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 hopefully we clean that whole thing up and it'll be like oh yeah whoops we you know we spilled some coffee we fixed it now we're you know the planet's all better but um i have to stay hopeful that that level of accelerated evolution and accelerated solution development is part of our future
0: absolutely it it's you know pivotal for us to stay focused sharp and optimistic about exactly that so that possibly in a few years or decades, we can look back in the metaphorical you know, spilling of the coffee and we were able to clean it up. Ryan, thank you so much for your time, for your insights, for sharing about you know, Algix and Bloom and um, what, what you're up to in creating you know, really regenerative change through leveraging nature's technology. You know? Is there anything else you'd love to share, anything you'd love to point at that we're of course gonna make sure to link out um, yeah. in the show notes?
1: I would say just you know follow us at Bloom Foam. Uh, we have our website's bloomshredwell.com. Uh, we we have all of our brands, all of our brand partners are on our site. So you know check us out, check out the story, check out our eco facts, learn more about what, how we do what we do, why we do what we do. I think I explained it pretty well today. But you know if you want to dig any more, there's more there. Uh, and and really just support the brands that use Bloom. That's really at the end of the day. If if you see a, a brand using algae. It doesn't even have to be bloom it doesn't have to be algae it could be something you know some other sort of material but at the end of the day we if the if the brands don't see the market responding positively to sustainable products they're not going to do it and so you know reach out to your brands reach out to your designers your friends tell them to to support the brands that support sustainability
0: let's do it thank you so much ryan thanks julian for having me
2: Hello, I'm Chris Gilmore from episode 224, Learning from Emergency Planning. I'm here to offer Green Planet Blue Planet listeners a special opportunity to get 20% off two of my in-depth learning experiences. Opportunity number one is reading nature's forgotten language. Go deeper than you may even realize is possible in your relationship with the natural world and your ability to interpret nature's signs, tracks, and sounds. Nature has a language and reading it is an ancient skill that is almost lost in our modern world. Relearning to read nature's story can help you be a better earth steward, learn to learn directly from nature, and it can greatly enhance your relationship with and the experiences you have in the outdoors. Watch the trailer and some of the sample lessons over at www.naturesforgottenlanguage.com and enter code GREENPLANET for 20% off. Opportunity number two is called Survive the Storms. In an era of rapid environmental, economic, and social change, do you want to feel better prepared to keep yourself and family safe? Whether a pandemic, extreme weather event, wildfire, or other unexpected disaster, Survive the Storms will help you build peace of mind and confidence fast. Check out the trailer of our one-of-a-kind game-like training that makes preparedness and safety both fun and practical. This one is very timely. Visit survivethestorms.com and don't forget to enter code GREENPLANET for 20% off. Both links are also available in the show notes. So stay connected, stay aware, stay safe with naturesforgottenlanguage.com and survivethestorms.com.